0: This is mission.org.
1: At my level, if I can keep the main thing, the main thing and go like, if you're going to remember two or three things from the CMO, this is it. Because guess what? My next leadership will have their list of things, the leadership below that. And if I'm not crystal clear on what the team should be focused on, the message only gets diluted as you permeate that across the
0: organization. Navigating through the complex world of marketing can be a daunting task, but our guest today has some great advice to help marketing leaders streamline priorities. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron. And today I'm pleased to welcome the Jason Rose, who's the chief marketing officer at the data storage developer, Pure Storage. Jason brings to the conversation a very compelling perspective on leadership. He previously worked at companies like SAP, where the CEO there at the time, Bill McDermott, instilled in him a mantra that Jason still uses to this day. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Tune in for more about Jason's take on how to lead effectively by focusing on what's most important. Let's dive into it. Let's get into your background, which I think is, is really interesting, because you've got this unique background in accounting, consulting, software IT, you know, product marketing. And now this is informing your now marketing leadership at Pure Storage. So, talk us a little bit about that, and, and what that what that's meant for your career as a marketing leader. Sure. Well, you know, generally creativity and accounting don't go
1: hand in hand in a positive way. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So I, I kind of. It's interesting I, I kind of grew up in the consulting rank so even though I, i'm a Cpa I've actually kept my designation um, i did go more the it consulting route and one of my first engagements was with scotia bank and a company that we call startup now back then in the uh, late 90s uh, early 2000s it was just a small software company 30 people doing financial planning and analysis for banks was basically what we did so we were doing a proof of concept for Scotia, got to work directly with the CEO, 30-person company, and eventually I moved over, became a consultant for them. And that set my career down the software path, which obviously became cloud. And uh, now I found myself full circle into hardware. But you know, across that um, whole journey, um, you know, analytics, kind of understanding cause and effect, uh, really asking the questions, why did something work? What can we learn from that? has served me really well uh, throughout my career. And then for anybody who's in marketing, you know, everything can be measured now. We're accountable to sales in terms of driving pipeline, we're accountable to finance, accounting, our CEOs uh, in terms of uh, return on marketing investment or return on investment for our marketing spend. Usually the biggest discretionary spend in the entire company, by the way. And so, you know, having that numeracy, understanding how to manage a budget, hold people accountable in the systems and processes for making that happen, at scale, right? So, kind of moving up the career ladder to a point now where, you know, uh, my budget here at Pure is probably well north of a hundred million dollar budget. So, again, being able to track, manage, make sure you cascade that discipline across a couple of hundred marketers has put me in great stead. But then you have to be able to tell a story, you have to be able to land a message with an audience. So, again, kind of that product marketing background where you've learned the rule of three. Again, maybe I'm not smart enough to remember four things, but I would argue most people probably aren't either. So it's making sure that, hey, if it's not down to three things, I can very quickly tell who can prioritize and who can't. Because here's my list of priorities, and you've got 10 things on the slide. I'm like, there's no way you're focused on 10 things. Wow. Physically impossible. You couldn't rhyme those things off if you tried. But if you've got three things on that slide, I'm like, okay, here's someone who's organized they understand how to drive impact and they're focused on things that they could rhyme off in any meeting and tell somebody what their priorities are. So for me that's always been, you know, kind of the discipline I've learned both on the marketing side and being a product marketer, but also that kind of approach of thinking about the outcomes and how do we analyze and understand what success looks like, right?
0: Wow, and it's you know that's some of the great CMOs that I've connected with over the past year, you know, throughout the Fortune 500 and beyond. There's a handful of CMOs that talk about this idea of keeping things simple as you scale, you know, and, and some of these guys like yourself, huge budgets, big teams, a lot of scale and impact international efforts. And yet they talk about distilling things down to two and three things. And really, the more simplistic, the faster you go. And so when you think about an infrastructure of a business and the organ- all the people and processes and things, it can get complicated, right? So keeping it simple as a marketing leader, that, that's really powerful.
1: Well, it's interesting working at, you know, I, I spent a lot of time inside SAP which is obviously a massive multi-hundred thousand person, multi-billion dollar revenue company. And Bill McDermott always said something, uh, who's CEO uh, for many years while I was there, that I always thought was kind of trite. But as I've kind of grown my career and gotten into more senior positions, he always said, keep the main thing, the main thing. And I was like, oh, that sounds kind of silly. Like, really? We kind of all know what the main thing is. But I got to tell you, As you grow up in an organization and now I've got a leadership team, that leadership team has leadership teams. And then finally, you're down to managers and individual contributors. At my level, if I can keep the main thing, the main thing and go like, if you're going to remember, you know, two or three things from the CMO, like this is it. Because guess what? My next leadership will have their list of things, the leadership below that. And if I'm not crystal clear on what the team should be focused on, the message only gets diluted as you um, kind of uh, permeate that across the organization. So the more seen you are, you, you are hopefully the simpler, and more crisp and clear your goals and objectives are
0: right. So for our audience, can you describe peer storage specifically? Like what, what are you guys up to there? And then your role as CMO.
1: It's interesting. Um, you know, I've done everything from customer experience, marketing, business intelligence, and advanced analytics, which are all arguably pretty exciting and sexy industries. Data storage doesn't necessarily jump to the forefront of that's where I want to go to grow my career and do something different. In my interview process, I actually had one of the um, you know most senior leaders at the company go, Jason, we've got the best house in a really bad neighborhood, and I'm like. Are you trying to sell me on this job or like, you know, what's going on here? But I got to tell you, almost the entire infrastructure world looks at storage as data storage, to be clear. We, we, We build big storage servers for storing petabytes and exabytes of data for companies. View that layer as a commodity. Where can I get the cheapest cost per terabyte and just throw data at it and everything will be okay. we've taken a very different approach. We're like, this is all we do. We're a pure play. We do data storage. We invest way more in R&D and developing this. And we also took an all-flash approach. So I don't know uh, how many of you out there have uh, kept up with, do you even have a spinning disk in your laptop anymore? Everything's gone solid state, right? Well, guess what? In the world of storage and servers, most of it is still spinning disk, which is nuts. Wow. If you care about the environment at all, that's a travesty, right? Lots of heat uh, generated, lots of cost in terms of keeping those disks spinning. And guess what? They're kind of buggy, right? Because of all the moving parts. Well, we moved fully solid state well ahead of the entire industry and we re architected specifically for this technology. A lot of people, you know, like if you look at the hard drive that's solid state in your uh, MacBook or uh, PC, they literally just took the hard drive case and dropped a solid state drive inside of it. And they said, good enough. And we said, not good enough. You know what? The way you read and write to flash is very different than disk. And we re-architected everything from the ground up to do that while everybody else just took solid state, dropped it in a drive and called it good enough. So I'm pretty excited about the revolutionary approach we took to our architecture that actually shows up for our customers. And just to give you an idea, we follow something called net promoter score, which I think most uh, marketeers on the call will be familiar with. We are 852 on that scale, whereas most people are in storage, are in 20 or below range. And that's that's really good. 85.2 is literally we're up there with Amazon and AWS and some of those really customer centric organizations. And I'm really proud of the fact that for an infrastructure company that's doing something that's so low down in the stack, we make our customers very, very happy.
0: Wow. And thinking about your connection to being a former product marketer, right? I mean, what strengths did you have as a former product marketer that really kind of helped you and continue to help you now as a marketing leader at Pure Storage?
1: Well, I I think one of the key, you know, formational things was as I moved from consulting, I actually spent six years doing pre-sales. I remember I I lived in New York at the time. I was single. People would ask me, what do you do for a living? And when I was pre-sales, I said, well, I'm the rock star of the uh, software industry, right? And they'd be like, what do you mean? I'm like, I get up, I perform, I show the software, I get the people in the room high fiving and uh, you know waving their lighter or flashlight in the audience. I mean that's my job, right? So having done that and been through hundreds and hundreds of customer meetings in conjunction with the sales team, you kind of get to know like what does that, what resonates with customers, what are the salespeople trying to accomplish, and you kind of have walked a mile in their shoes, so that when you move over to marketing, it's not theory. Like you know what those sales folks are up against every day, what the pre-sales folks or uh, solution engineers are trying to accomplish, and I found bringing that kind of empathy of how my presentation, story, message will land with the customer actually really helped inform how I built and delivered content and did enablement, which obviously for product marketing is absolutely critical.
0: So as you see the opportunity when you first joined Pure Storage from the outside looking in, you see this as a really interesting industry. You know, if data is the oil, it's like pure storage of the barrels, right? It's like- 100%. There's a big opportunity here that you see. You take the role, you jump into the CMO role, which is, by the way, one of the shortest tenure roles you know, in the C-suite, as you know. Oh, yeah, you've already, you've already graduated past the point where most of them don't last. What are some of the early wins? What are some of the early things you do in your first 90, 100 days there as CMO?
1: Well, I I think one is, again, showing that empathy for the sales team as we build and create pipeline. The other quick win, um, which I would recommend to anybody, if your quick win is going to be technology driven, watch out. Like that's a tough road to hoe, especially in a new company. Um, What I did is I actually align team members to business units and sales organizations. So that, you know, when I came in, a lot of our uh, business unit leaders had a lot to say about marketing in terms of what wasn't working. (laughs) Mm. Of course. (laughs) And and a a lot of it was actually uh, related to just transparency and visibility. I I am a big believer in radical transparency. I think there's some great uh, white papers on that. Huge believer in that. So um, what I did is I actually aligned not corporate marketing resources, but actually field resources that had to show end-to-end programs to the business units on a regular basis. And then we ruthlessly aligned our field team to our sales team, which I think is a a no brainer for any marketing organization. You need to have that alignment. And then the final thing, Pure has a unique go to market in that we have a partner involved in every single transaction we do. Okay. So it's a very partner centric organization. Well, guess what, Jeremy, I did not have a partner team in marketing. The explanation I got was, Jason, well, since partner is so integral to what we do, it's a part of everybody's job. Well, I got to tell you, Jeremy, throughout my career, when I hear something is everybody's job, it's the first thing on your to-do list that you don't get to. Mm. It's like, okay, it's everybody's job. Somebody else has it covered because it's everybody's job, right? Yeah. So I said, you know what? No bueno. I'm sorry. I didn't even have a head of the team. I literally created an open headcount and moved 10 resources under it and said, this is the partner marketing team. And now I've got accountability to our um, global partner organization to make sure that marketing is serving their needs, meeting our, cust- our, sorry, our partner requirements to meet our customer requirements, right? So it was that stakeholder alignment, Jeremy, that I got to tell you, even before I changed any systems, tools, way of tracking, looked at metrics or anything else it was getting that alignment to the pure storage organization that I found extremely uh, important. And I got to tell you, this comes back to a philosophy I have as a marketer. Lots of people go, Jason, what are the metrics you look at to drive marketing success? And I, I give the answer is my CEO happy and is my head of sales happy? And they go like, Really, I'm like, I could be killing it on pipeline, but the CEO goes, "This guy's not strategic. He's not looking forward enough. He's not leaning into where we need to be in the market." Guess what? I'm going to be a short tenured CMO. (laughs) If you're not focused on pipeline, you're not helping the head of sales. And believe me, that people think sales is simple. It's all about pipeline, pipeline, pipeline. Well, guess what? Enablement matters. The messaging matters. The campaign that uh, you know drives pipeline and how that lands in market matters. The way you integrate with the SDR team matters. Right? So. I wouldn't give one single answer. Oh, and by the way, let's not forget PR and AR. Are you in the top right-hand corner of that next uh, analyst evaluation? Um, You know, am I getting into the tier one publications, the Wall Street Journals, the Forbes of the world on a regular enough basis? Again, these are all things as CMO that matter. But if you gave any one of those as an answer and your CEO or head of sales weren't happy, guess what? None of the metrics matter, right? So at the end of the day, you know, all organizations are all about people, right? So I take the people-centric view. Don't get me wrong. Uh, You heard me a little bit earlier about some of my answer around driving accountability around budget, ROI. I certainly have a great handle on pipeline, MQL conversion through to opportunity via our SDR team and through our AEs and all of those things matter. But at the end of the day, you can get it all right. But if you don't have a great relationship with your chief executive officer and your head of sales, you're probably gonna get into trouble on something somewhere because this is a very complicated role.
0: For sure, I mean, especially today. I mean, you know, that and I think it also lends itself to your right brain, left brain abilities because you have both going for you, which I also think will favor you being a modern day marketing leader. I find some of the best in the business have that right brain, left thing going on. They, they do it really well. CMOs are coming under pressure to deliver value, drive sales, improve customer experience. While they have a lot of access to data a lot of them still struggle to make better decisions, you know, with that, right, or apply it to the business. How are you staying on top of this?
1: You know, it's interesting, Jeremy. I always look at it as it's a triangulation, right? Like, so for example, everybody goes like, "Romi, Romi, Romi," right? Like, return on marketing investment. I'm like. Well, that's wonderful. But how are you measuring it? Because if you do um, something that says, you know, we've got a marketing sourced perspective that says, let's from opportunity to create, let's look back 45 days and see which marketing tactics actually helped influence that opportunity. And if there are two of those, we're going to give credit to marketing, right? Which is great and wonderful. And I can run ROI on all that. But guess what? That's always going to make paid digital look bad. Because paid digital happens much higher up the funnel before opportunity creates. So if I only looked at that metric, my CFO would come to me and say, Jason, based on ROI, you shouldn't be doing paid search or uh, any kind of paid digital uh, work. And I'd be like, well, you're nuts. We need to do that. Let's look at a different cut of the data that looks at top of funnel and how we're doing there. So what I say is this. You need to understand uh, a variety of perspectives and making sure that you're triangulating against them. So, you know, we do things like in our, um, uh, we do a quarterly uh, marketing business review. We look at the top 10 performing campaigns and we look at the bottom 10 performing campaigns. And then we look at, you know, um, you know, within that, are there things we should stop doing? Are there things we should double down on investment in? And a lot of the times it's switching up topics and things like that. But the tactics actually kind of remain very important from you know, one of the things I'm working on right now is, um, you know, pure storage. Uh, many of you probably haven't heard of us, and that tells me that we need to do a lot more work on brand. We're to give you an idea. I think in our uh, last uh, fiscal year, which ended uh, in at the end of January, we were about 2.3 billion in revenue. Okay, so pretty reasonable um, size organization. Obviously, we want to double, triple that over the next um, three to five years. So, you know, as we look to expand our market and our reach. That brand investment becomes much uh, more important, but it's a much tougher case to make to my CEO and my CFO that we need that air cover on things like sponsorships. Because guess what? While we are pure storage, I don't believe we get to 5 billion in revenue from where we are today without casting a broader net than just talking to storage admins. right? So we need to expand our audience, we need to expand our reach, and that's going to be a large investment in brand which again will be a different set of metrics because if you just say hey did it help drive an opportunity not very many people are going to say i went to a giants game i saw the pure logo and therefore i bought a bunch of storage from pure like that happened never right but it's all those things working together that really lead to that opportunity and with modern marketing technology we can now see so many of the touches along that customer journey and start to kind of piece them together to understand while well, we might only measure that 45-day look back for the two touches. I actually can see all the way back to the first touch and I can see all the way through to deal close and what's being consumed from a marketing perspective so I can get a more full view of our impact as an organization.
0: That's interesting. I know a lot of marketing leaders have a challenge to overcome in like, you know, what's the right message at the right channel, the right time to engage, especially in the B2B world, it's really interesting. And it seems like there's a difficulty for some due to this ever-expanding channels, right? There's all these, a lot of brands have channels to engage, a lot of different customer experiences and preferences. How are you tackling this?
1: Yeah, a, a great question. And it, maybe it comes back to uh, you know, that simplicity discussion we were having. Myself as a consumer, where do you start anything that you're going to buy? You go into Google, you type in best sports sedan, and you start your search there. You look at who comes up, you do a bunch of research, right? Well, I got to tell you, B2B buyers. The only difference is now you're probably part of a buying group or a buying center, as we like to call it. But guess what? Search engine optimization and paid search are still going to be the way that most people are found, right? So when it comes to marketing, I'm like, first, you got to be found. (laughs) All right. That's the first step, right? And then you can worry about conversion and telling your story. So again, for me, as, as, as I look at all the different touches, all the different tactics and bringing it together, I'm like, Are we being found? Right. And I gave a digital example, but that also involves showing up at the right industry events, being in the right analyst reports, um, showing up in the press. Um, All of those elements are all part of that kind of be found part of the funnel. And then once you're discovered by hopefully the right folks uh, that will understand the story. um, And by the way, if they don't understand the story, then they're probably not the right folks and and they self select out, which is also helpful. Right. Because then Mm -hmm. you can be more targeted in your marketing. Um, but, you know, again, and then you get to tell your story and why they should invest and take the journey with you from there. So for me, it's all about being found and converting and then understanding which tactics fall into each one of those two c- categories. I mean, you hear about people, you know, breaking down the funnel into so many stages and all this other stuff. I'm kind of like, guys, we've got to be found. And then once we're found, we've got to get them to engage and com- hopefully convert um, into an opportunity in business for us. Right.
0: I love your just approach to bringing it back to like, okay, foundational piece, like we got to be found first. You could have weaved all corner technology and <laughs> strategy and process of like, what are, and you're like, wait a second, the first, you know, one of the most important bricks has got to be found, you know, and that's right. The table stakes of SEO and some of these things that are not going to go away clearly. Um, so I just love that at your, at your scale and reach, remembering these, these simple yet profound things that are often missed, I think going to get lost on the shuffle. So that's, that's powerful.
1: Well, and it helps to simplify and like marketing is crazy complicated. Like if I if you and I went, wanted to have a deep conversation about tech stack and intent data and the death of the cookie, heaven forbid if we went down that route, there is a lot of nuance, there's a lot of complexity, but at the end of the day, it's all about the customer, helping them find you when they need you, right? Because when they don't need you and they find you, it doesn't really matter because they're going to self-select out, right? And then helping them guide them through that journey to hopefully the best possible outcome, where again we can achieve that really incredible net promoter score because it's the right solution for the right problem. And it's amazing how you can go into these fairly nuanced and complicated topics, but you just say, "How is this helping us actually be found?" Right? Like you know, and people go, "Oh, well, let's just do this, this, and this," and then you know, it, it helps clarify outcomes and 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 get people back to you know the task at hand versus arguing about. Vendor X, Y, or Z. At the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? I'll tell you what, I'll flip a coin and we'll probably be better off having one vendor than two. But I think we can do better. If you do a little bit of analysis and choose the better of the two, we'll be even better off. Right. So, you know, again, I'd rather just make the decision, standardize, move forward, help us drive that um, um, kind of philosophy than spend hours and weeks and months on the nuance at the end of the day, as long as we have the right tools and technology, vendor A versus vendor B, I believe most times, um, they're both going to get the job done, which again, uh, you know, as a marketeer kind of in some ways breaks my heart to say that. But at the same time, I'm like, guys, we got to have the right tools and we got to move fast versus having multiple tools. Because I got to tell you, the, the time that even me at a CMO level spend, oh, should we be using this platform or that platform or this platform that we already own? I'm like, guys, I'll tell you what, I'll just pick two of them at random. We'll get rid of them. We'll standardize one on one and we'll be better off. So we can just get the work done instead of worrying about integration and all the other technology elements that go into your tech stack.
0: Wow. Well, you brought it up, so I got I to follow up. In the wake of third-party cookies disappearing, <laughs> what actions has the marketing team there at Pure Storage taken?
1: A couple of companies ago, I was at a company called Gigia, and we did customer identity and access management, okay? So this was a way for companies to create logins and accounts for customers, and that way you get first-party data that the customer has actually volunteered to you versus just tracking anonymously. And then, you know, in its worst-case scenario, it's surveillance marketing, right, which I don't think anybody wants. So one of the things we've been doing is actually creating customer accounts for us so that when you download a white paper and rather than just filling out a Marketo form and having a Marketo cookie follow you around, which is basically what most people do today, um, we actually say, hey, create a password while you're at it. So now when you come back, we go, hey, log back in and we go, we know for sure it's Jason or Jeremy coming back again, logging into their account. And the best part is you get to see the full history of what you've done with us and all the different things. Oh, where, I can't find that white paper I downloaded a week ago. Rather than going and searching it, there it is in your account. You find it. And then we can do things like a preference center and say, hey, wow. Jeremy, what are the topics you're interested in so that we can send you the blog post, the white paper, the webinar that's coming up on something you're interested in versus just the blast of everything pure storage is doing that may or may not be relevant to you.
0: Wow. That's no, I've never experienced that quite yet. I've never heard of anyone doing it. That's to that level of, yeah. in, in some ways, sophistication of like, okay, let's be smart and think about what does the user want to experience when they're on our site? Let's not make them leave and download a bunch of stuff. And then like you said, as you described that experience, I'm like, that's me. I have a whole bunch (laughs) of white papers. I'm trying to find where'd I get it. And then I missed the resource because I'm way past the website. But if you can keep this in one experience for me and keep me coming back and giving me what I need that I find valuable, I mean, that's incredible.
1: Jeremy, it's the benefit for the customer versus the benefit for the marketeer. Like everybody's so afraid of the cookie going away because now, geez, Jeremy exited my site. I don't know where he went next. I don't know what he's doing. And I got to tell you, most of the time, between you and me, it's not that useful. (laughs) Right. Like it's really not. Wow. Uh, Because all I want to do is retarget you, but you've already said, you know what? I'm done with Pure for now. I'm going somewhere else. I got to tell you, retargeting is a tool. Like we use it, but. The conversion rates on it are pretty pathetic, um, for the most part. So Mm. again, I would rather provide a great customer experience where you go, you know what, I can go back there. I know they're going to treat me the right way, and I find the stuff when I need it. Versus, hey, there's a pure storage banner. I haven't thought of them for a while. I'm going to go
0: click on that and go back there. Like, doesn't happen very often. Wow. Let's shift into some of the the trends in data storage. Um, What what's exciting to you? about this modern data experience and the breakthroughs that are possible because of that? Like how does Pure Storage support these breakthroughs?
1: Great question. Well, technology moves so quick, as we all know, right? So one of the things that uh, is going on right now is containerization of applications, right? So rather than building the one big application, you build these little containers that can run across different operating systems, different mobile experiences, and so forth. Now, this has grown up in a very... Developer ops, um, developer centric world, where again, you build the container, you throw it out there, you move on to your next thing. Well, guess what? At scale and enterprise, how is that backed up? What data is being collected? Where are we storing that data? All become really important questions, right? So, pure storage, we're actually kind of working on the backup, recovery, storage needs of that agile uh, development strategy of containerization, which I think is crazy exciting, right? Because again, it brings enterprise grade backup recovery, uh, data protection to uh, containers while still allowing that amazing agility right So I, I really love that element of, of what we're doing. The other thing we're doing is again, you know a lot of storage is moving to the cloud, whether it be Azure AWS or Google Cloud platform, you know and what we're trying to do is take the storage that's in people's data centers, which is you know kind of primarily where we um, service and make that operate like a cloud. So the decision point is no longer, oh, I'd rather subscribe and have a flexible model. Well, guess what? I can get that in my data center as well. So now the decision becomes, you know, is it cheaper for me to scale my data centers or cheaper for me to move the workload to the cloud? Because operating it is just as simple and easy under scenario A and scenario B. And I think pure storage is really innovating the way there um, you know, with uh, some of the new products we've got, uh, something called Fusion. That basically provision sets up, creates all the storage, and then uh, load balances um, you know, the data across all of the different arrays that you have, which are basically the discrete boxes. So that again, hey, you know what? Uh, Pure storage has it. Um, I don't know exactly what my capacity is on any one box, but I know across my fleet, I'm okay, right? Same thing for AWS. You don't even know what boxes are there, which is totally okay. What I, I love this quote, right? The cloud is just someone else's data center. AWS is basically doing all of that management for you you never see behind the veil whereas with pure storage we're like okay we can provide you that same management plane that you would have with AWS but now you have the confidence of knowing where your data is Smart. Um, you can look at it feel it touch it at any time so I, I really like that um, kind of contrarian view to the cloud that we're taking and making you know your data center run like a cloud so that you can keep more of your data on-prem versus having to put it up into the cloud
0: how often you double down on customer experience in the past year and change? I mean, I see a lot of brands, again, doubling down more some more than others, some less than others, but it's always interesting to hear a perspective. If so, how have you doubled down on the customer experience since taking over?
1: Well, well, okay. So a couple of things on that, right? So um, customer experience, a lot of it will come back to the product experience, right? Because that journey through marketing to sales, to owning the product If that owning the product all of a sudden craters the customer experience, how many people are going to come back and repeat buy? How many people are going to recommend you to their friends, family, other colleagues? Not very many, right? So I think Pure Storage from its founding actually took simplicity and customer experience inside the product to its core. So to give you an idea, um, the installation of a Pure Storage uh, box is front and back of a business card. That's all the instructions you need to install it. Whereas a lot of our competitors have like 3,000 page manuals, <laughs> right? Just to set up that box. So I, again, I look at it, and I go, well, customer experience, as weird as it sounds as a marketeer, I'm like, it has to start with the product. Because at the end of the day, if I'm going to build the best be found and the best darn, you know, convert you into a customer, and then you go, this product is really terrible. It's really complicated. I can't figure it out. I, you know, and, I, and you exit at that point, you know, it's, it's wasted. You could be the best marketer in the world and you're, you can't overcome that kind of barrier. So believe it or not, product really matters. Whether you're a cloud company, a hardware company or any other kind of service, product experience is extremely important. But however, from there, what I would say is, you know, reducing the number of interactions and clicks to get to your answers. And and the types of questions you're asking are going to vary at various stages of the buyer journey and what your role is in that buying group that I mentioned earlier. So, again, it's making sure you understand. And, you know, um, I've, I've never done the cardboard cutouts of people and said, this is Jane. She's a storage administrator. Here's the thing she cares about. Like I'm like personas more. Okay, storage administrator. Here are the tasks that they're doing. Typically, here's how they spend the majority of their time. And here's how pure storage makes it better. So let's help Jane figure out what makes Pure special and different vis-a-vis the competition. And that can be both Pure-related content as well as obviously third-party validated content, uh, right? Whether that be, you know, a Gartner or a Forrester analyst report, G2 Crowd, um, you know, kind of review site or something like that. Again, you know, it's making sure that we can help those people find the information when they need it get the right validation, and then be able to bring that back to the buying group in an effective fashion. So one of the things I love to do is actually create what I call buying kits, right? And, and in that buying kit, you've got the analyst report, you've got a white paper about why your uh, stuff is better than everybody else's. And what I like to do, sample RFP, like here's the types of questions you should be asking other vendors. And people That's go, so like, smart. Jason, isn't that kind of self serving? Aren't they going to see through the fact that pure storage did and it's totally biased. I'm like. Actually, no. If it helps them do their job and create an RFP, guess what? I know we've, we, we've set ourselves up for success when the RFP is like 50 to 75% of our questions. Wow. <laughs> right? It's like we've helped them on their journey and that's going to go a long way, whether they select pure at the end of the day. I'm just happy that we've helped that person get closer to the answer that they're searching for.
0: Right? That's huge. It's huge. Wow. I love that concept of the buying kit. I'm like making notes of our own internal (laughs) folks. That's really smart. And one of the biggest challenges, like, you know,
1: uh, you always have the question to gate or not to gate content on your website. Sure. Comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a value question. Is there enough value in that content that somebody would actually uh, download it um, if you ask them for all their information, right? Because they know they're going to be pestered by the company that they give the information to, right? Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, you know, we're ungating like the Gartner uh, Magic Quadrant for anything. I'm, I'm like, guess what? Let's ungate that. And let's also SCOR page so that we show up higher than Gartner on that Magic Quadrant. I'm like, I want to be number one. I want to be ungated. People go like, you're crazy. You're going to, I'm like, listen, if you know one of our big competitors is Dell, right? So if a Dell customer comes to us and goes, oh, I found the pure version and it's ungated and downloads it for me, even if they never buy pure storage again, we've been of service to that customer. They're probably going to remember that at some point. And even if they don't, I feel like we've been of service. We've, we've helped them out, right? But you know, at, at the end of the day, when you take that magic quadrant and you combine it with that RFP and the white paper and the other thing and you call it a buyer's kit, now I'm going to gate it. I'm going to say like, look, you're getting like 10 pieces of content in one download and it's going to help you do your job. So, you know, you could go download each of these individual things off the website for no gating if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. But if you want them all together to really help you do your job, I'm willing to bet that person is way more likely to provide us the information, get the full kit. And then we actually know they're probably on a journey where they're, they're moving down a purchase path, right? Which also helps us better help them through that journey, whether that be through an SDR outreach or, uh, you know, other uh, means that we would have in our marketing portfolio.
0: Let's shift to talk a little bit about hiring and kind of building high-performance teams and hiring leaders and supporting and cultivating leaders. And what's your process like when it comes to, yeah, being on a high-performing leader that you know is gonna be responsible for quite a bit, also res- protecting and supporting you to do your to do your job? Totally,
1: Jeremy, great question. And interestingly, I, I think it starts with organizational design, right? Like, are you giving the people you're bringing into a, the team both a meaty enough remit as well as accountability. Because at the end of the day, you want the job to be meaningful. And at the end of it, you want to be able to measure and say, did the person accomplish you know, the role mission? right? So I'll give you, for example, when I joined Pure Storage, I mean, there's about 200 people on my team. Um, I had four direct reports, which I was like, okay, wait a minute. I had brand and demand collapsed together. My field marketing team had global events and paid digital and a bunch of other... like I couldn't have good conversations. And there weren't those four leaders, I couldn't hold them accountable to any one thing. It was all five things. So like, Hmm. again, Jeremy, I'll go back to my three thing philosophy. I wanted to be able to go like, these are the three metrics I'm holding you accountable for, and let's go forth and conquer uh, together. But instead, it was like different levels of the organization with different things. Also, I like to have a conversation once. Okay. So a lot of CMOs will have their head of EMEA, field marketing, uh, America's APJ report directly into them. I hate that. Because guess what? Then I have to have the same conversation three times, mm. <laughs> All right? Are you executing on your campaigns? How are you doing against your pipeline? You know, what are the big things you like? I don't like that. So I've got a head of worldwide field marketing. So I can have that conversation once and a trust that that person is going to have the conversation four or five times, right? And I hold them accountable to that. So um, to get back to your question about hiring, the first thing is setting up the org in a way that I feel like you've got the right accountability. I'll give you, for example, like a lot of uh, marketeers will have a brand team. But I'm like, you know, brands too theoretical. I'm like, I want my brand team to not only own brand, but sponsorships along with our tier one events, like the big event so that they can have a pipeline target associated with the brand. And they have the responsibility to take the brand guidelines and land them in market in an event so they can actually see it in practice and take it end to end, right? So, you know, it's setting up the right roles and responsibilities across the team. So people have clear swim lanes. And then it's going out and recruiting you know, people that you know are world-class leaders. And that, and that means a rigorous process. Like, for example, when I'm hiring product marketing leaders, I assume you're going to be amazing in an interview because you've got to be like a top spokesperson for your product, right? So the interview has to be flawless, but what's their launch planning like? What is their messaging philosophy? So I actually get them to do an exercise for me, build a message house and launch that product for me. It can be completely theoretical but i want to see your work product before you join because i already know you can talk you can present like that's amazing that's table stakes i want to see how you're going to organize your thoughts your team and really represent that product into market and i want to see those work products before i hire you so again it's also going beyond the interview cuz again the, being charismatic and, and and being great in your role when you get up to a vp level at a publicly traded company is table stakes right mm-hmm. i want to see actually what your thought process is and how you're going to do it and then lastly jeremy i'll just say this is a team sport. So just like in any sport, you're looking for complementary skills and personalities across a sports team to be the highest performing. I look at the same thing in my marketing leadership team. I don't want all type A hard driver outspoken people because guess what? They're going to trample all over each other, right? You want some people that are of that perspective in class and you want other people that are maybe a little more reserved, a a little, uh, you know, more just get it done quietly. And, you know, I find that combination and diversity, right, we, we all hear a lot about diversity, you know, really helps come to better decisions, outcomes, and uh, perspectives for, for the leadership team.
0: What's your relationship with kind of with failure? And, you know, when the team doesn't get it right or misses the mark in some way, how do you cultivate, you know, a safe space to welcome failure? How do you view it as a leader and as a team? With my financial background,
1: I kind of look at it as a portfolio approach. You don't want want to have all of your bets be super risky on brand new things that you've never tried before, right? So I think it's a combination of setting up a framework of, you know, the tried and true what's worked and reserving an area where, you know what, it's important, but if you fail at it, it's not going to bring down the whole business, (laughs) right? So I, I like to have both of those perspectives. What's working, we're doubling down on. And then what are the, the, the bets or the experiments that we're taking? And if those prove to be successful, then we promote them up. And if not, hey, it, it was part of a portfolio of things where they were untried. They weren't uh, things that were proven out. So if they failed, we're not surprised by it. Like, oh, my goodness, it worked 10 times before. Uh, why didn't it work the 11th time? These are new things that we're trying out. And I think that portfolio approach has worked really well, particularly as you get to scale, right? When I was managing eight person startup teams, it's a little more vital um, that things work and you're taking proven tactics and, like, oh, we're not going to do SEO at this company. We're going to put everything into webinars. And, you know, like, that's probably a risky move you might not want to take, right? Whereas, you know, at the scale I'm driving right now. And by the way, the other thing is you don't want to create an innovation team. Okay. Hmm. Do not do that because guess what? you've just taken innovation away from everybody else's job mm. because that team is the cool team doing all the fun and exciting stuff. I'm like, no, no, no. That portfolio play, that can come from field marketing. It can f- come from my brand team. It can come from uh, my partner organization. And I want to see that experimentation and innovation across the team versus saying, hey, Jeremy, guess what? You've got the best job on the team. You're head of innovation.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> right? That's huge. I think that's a really cool distinction because you don't you want to foster innovation with everyone always, right? And so that's really interesting.
1: Some of the best tactics that we've done at Pure have come from our, our field marketing team and creating um, you know, a couple of things that work really well, doubling down on them and then creating repeatable processes around those things so they begin to scale.
0: Mm. Let's talk about AI stuff. If, if this is There's an article, the title was $800 billion in incremental revenue is possible with AI-driven personalization. Goes on to talk about the opportunity, but just generally speaking, What role do you see right now for AI to help marketers personalize experiences for customers at scale?
1: Man, I got to tell you, well, one, my wife and I actually talked about this as like a table conversation. And her perspective is, uh, you know, Jason, watch out. AI is going to replace you like as CMO and and chief creative officer. Now, I I will tell you this. I, I don't know if you've seen some of the AI artists out there. You can literally type in like koala riding a motorcycle, And it will spit out amazing artwork of koalas riding motorcycles that are really phenomenal. So I've got to say, you know, uh, at the conversational layer, um, you know, uh, if you look at um, uh, there's so many chat vendors out there that kind of automate through AI um, your chat platform, which I think is wonderful, by the way, because, you know, again, that poor SDR that has to be on call to get the, you know, the standard answer stuff out of the way. I think it's, Mm -hmm. it's really great for that. For me, and, and where I think this could become most exciting, and we touched on this a little bit with that kind of preference center idea of signing up and creating a password and all that kind of stuff. But I got to tell you, email marketing is one of the um, most sloggy and lowest converting things that you do, but it's extremely important, okay? It's like a, a high volume tactic. What I really like is the idea of AI being able to, rather than A-B testing like three uh, subject lines just imagine if every subject line was customized based on what we know about you, right? And to me, that's where AI gets super exciting is taking these things that have been traditionally batch bulk emails that most of it goes into a spam folder or never gets open, instead making it highly relevant, highly personalized to the person you're sending it to. So it's, it's like literally written for you by the AI. I think that gets insanely exciting. And, you know, for me, it's like some of the most mundane things we do are actually some of the most exciting uh, areas to apply things like AI.
0: Hmm. That's, there was another piece about, is email still king? <laughs> you know, a lot of people, that yeah. every year people talk about predicting the death of email, right? And then you have a lot of email marketers shining in saying, wait a second, it's still the single best performing channel for many in, in the past year. And it goes on to say, if you have scaled back, you should maybe consider investing in it. Do you agree? Still, obviously, email is, is important.
1: Oh, I, I completely agree with that. Um, I, I think the problem is as many marketeers look at it as a means to an end, like the email is just a way to get somebody to attend an event or join a webinar or uh, look at a blog post. Right. So they don't look at it as a discipline in and of itself. So that's one thing I've been doing at Pure is email used to be the domain of each field marketer. Okay, because they're setting up the event, they're setting up the email cadence. And guess what? We have emails colliding all over the place. I'm like, no, no, no. Email is a science, like the number of touches, the time of day. All of this stuff matters. And if it's every field marketer, how many of them really think that way? Email is a science. I'm going to think about my subject lines, what the length of the email, how much imagery Um, is our domain being blocked for spam because we're sending too many emails to a particular domain. I'm like, this is a highly scientific, highly technical discipline. That needs to be centralized and treated as such, just like you wouldn't have every single marketer doing SEO. Oh, SEO, search engine optimization is a part of everybody's job. Said no one ever. Yet email many times is treated that way. Oh, I'm a field marketer. I can send emails to whoever I want. So, one, I do believe in it as a tactic. I believe it's like one of the biggest tactics after search engine optimization in the website, right? The next one is email, and it should be treated like a discipline and a science with testing and automation and, you know, centralization, in my opinion, versus having everybody and their brother sending emails all the time, uh, which gets pretty chaotic and gives email a bad name.
0: Mm, I love that. Okay. Let's get into some lightning round questions, some fun questions, if you're ready. Are you ready, Jason? I'm all set. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Got to give a shout out to Salesforce. Without you, this podcast would not exist. So if you want to learn more about Salesforce, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We've got Jason Rose, CMO of Pure Storage in the house, the virtual house. First question, Jason, outside of work, what is the thing you're most passionate about?
1: Uh, My family, uh, without a doubt. Uh, So as chaotic as uh, my life is at work, I've got three kids, three dogs, three cats, a rabbit. Um, and, uh, you know, we uh, live up in Lake Tahoe. Um, so we're a very outdoorsy family. And I got to tell you, I never know what's going on outside that office door. I got to tell you that my, my work is my quiet space. <laughs> okay. Love it. And you're a big skier too, I heard. Huge skier. I, I only got 30 days in the season, but, you know, uh, living
0: up here in Lake Tahoe, um, I'm 20 minutes to the chairlift, which I absolutely love. <sighs> That's amazing. That's awesome. We try to go four times a year, five times a year if we can. We're in Austin, but love love to get out in the mountains and anytime we can. Do you have a certain hobby that you really enjoy besides skiing? If so, what is it? and Why do you enjoy it?
1: I love mountain biking. Um, It kind of uh, has both the technology angle uh, in terms of the gear. And then there's just something about the concentration, about choosing a line, uh, grinding up a hill, uh, and you get to be out in wilderness, which again, you can kind of see a theme here. Um, I love the outdoors. Nice, all right. Texting or talking? Talking. I don't know. It, it's funny. Like I spend a lot of my time in meetings, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time getting everything down on paper. So I, I really like talking things out, working things out with somebody versus just quick text exchange. Favorite day of the week? Boy, uh, why is that a hard question? Uh, you know, it, like I, I, I've got to say, like probably uh, Saturday, uh, just because, you know, you're kind okay. of coming fresh off the week. Uh, you dive in and I get to do all of those fabulous outdoor activities that I uh, describe.
0: Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Every language in the world. Uh,
1: you can tell I, I'm a people person. And I love to travel. I'm I'm so happy that the world seems to be opening up. I'm going to be taking my first international trip uh, here in uh, a couple of weeks. I'll be uh, over in Europe. And I got to tell you, being able to speak German and French and Spanish and like really get to know people in language would be amazing. I only speak English. I I don't even do that very well. So um, having those language skills would be uh, wonderful.
0: Nice. Please finish the sentence. Something wise my elders taught me was. All things in moderation. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I love trying um, different things, but, you know, too much of anything can be a bad thing. So <laughs> true story. Is it wrong
0: for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? So
1: uh, full disclosure,
0: I was vegetarian for seven years
1: um, okay. and uh, I did eat animal crackers. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I love our animal friends, uh, as you can tell by, by my family makeup. Um, but I think animal
0: crackers are a OK in my book. OK, if you weren't in marketing leadership, what would you be doing?
1: I I love the general manager role for a lot of our uh, business units where you do get that kind of variety of building products, working with sales, developing uh, markets. Uh, You know, I think that's a very attractive uh, area that I think would be really challenging and fun. Okay. What's your least favorite marketing buzzword? Oh, always on. (laughs) It gets applied to so many things. And I'm like, guys, the only thing that's always on is like, our website. It's like the only thing that's always on. Like your webinar, even paid uh, media turns off when you stop paying. Like, guys, stop using this to paint. Everything is always on.
0: <laughs> that's great. Uh, last question. If you were able to go back and whisper in the ear of your younger self about being a marketing leader, what would you say? Keep it simple. <laughs> Keep it simple. Well said. Jason, thanks so much for being here. This was an exceptional conversation. I really appreciate it. I know for me, a big honor And congratulations on the success at Pure Storage. Keep rocking it and we'll stay connected for sure. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks, Jeremy. This was really fun. Looking forward to talking to you again.
0: You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic.